Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, welcome to the very latest episode of the Driven Chat podcast. Here is your headline news. This is an episode that, if you're a young driver, could save you £5,000. Cool. I mean, I'm not sure I can back that up, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a headline attention <laughs> grabber for you. Um, Mr. Marco's in the house. How are you doing, John? I'm good, thanks, Andy. And you're right. Um, but not only save you £5,000 or more or less, um, but also um, enable you to be a better, safer, more qualified driver. Yeah, I didn't focus on that bit because I wanted to get them into the exciting bit. People like to <laughs> Grab save them money. Grab them with the money. Yeah, they like That's to fair. save money. That's you know, fair. It's, you know, it's, 
right, especially at the moment. <laughs> no, listen, we've got a really, really special chat on the way. John and I aren't going to talk for too long in this preamble bit because we have a major special guest who we actually thought we'd only get about 10 minutes with and we have about yeah. an hour and 10 minutes with him. Yeah. Uh, the brilliant yeah. Quentin Wilson, who was just on such great form, wasn't he, John? Absolutely. And I said, you'll hear it in the intro as we start talking to Quentin. Every so often, you know, I don't get nervous about many guests that we speak to because, of course, we're all in the same working industry. We all, we all, everyone kind of knows everybody a little bit. But occasionally a name will crop up when you go, oh, that's kind of a big deal. And Quentin, for me, from like the journalistic side is... That, he's a big deal. So yeah, this is, this was cool. Really so we cool. we did the chat on a Zoom, and I'm not going to lie, I quite enjoyed watching John fanboying visually over, <laughs> over Quentin. Yeah, you know, he's a pioneer, and it's it's this is the industry that I've you know I've been absorbing like so many people um, this world you know through things like Top Gear, you know, watching Top Gear as a child, a little child, I should point out, you know pre-10 years old, so 8, 9, 10 years old, watching Quentin Wilson on the telly, mm. driving around in cars. No, he's a proper, he's a proper legend. He's a great, great <laughs> guy. I've, I've been very, very fortunate to have worked with Quentin before. I've known him for a few years now. He's really terrific company. I mean, he's one of those guys, because he goes to all the car shows as well, you know, because Quentin is always asked to be a, you know, a, a judge at something or a, a guest appearance for this or a celebrity chatting with that, you know, at, at all the car shows. Quentin... Typically, he's going to make an appearance at some point because he's just that kind of guy. He makes the effort. Mm. He shows up. So my point is, a lot of our listeners will go to car shows as well, especially when the world is turning again properly. <laughs> and therefore, you've got a chance of actually getting to meet Quentin. My advice is, if you are ever anywhere near Quentin Wilson, don't be the guy that says afterwards, oh, that was Quentin Wilson. I should have said hello. Go and say hello. He is yeah, great, do, great do. company. Yeah, agreed. A hundred percent agreed. Anyway, John, uh, we said last week that we would throw open a show to um, emails. That, mm. of course, was before we were able to land Quentin Wilson for this week, which was like, <laughs> which came True. sort of quite pleasingly out of the blue. But I still think we should, I mean, I, it would be only right and proper to check. Have, has anyone messaged us? We have. We've had loads. We've oh, had good. absolutely good. loads. And it's brilliant. Yes, I've lost many an hour of an evening going through, refreshing the, the inbox and and scrolling through and seeing loads of stories have been coming in about the buying and se selling of classic cars, the guys that have won big and some that have lost. Some great moans coming in as well from last good. week's episode where we I had a moans. good old moan about that bloody advert that I keep now seeing billboards for and you love it. grinding my teeth. Um, so yeah, keep your moans coming in as well to the email address. But yeah, there's been a, there's been a few that are coming, some that are just a bit of an anomaly, just saying, hey, look, here's, here's, can I get some advice on this? Which is also brilliant, and we will try our best to give some uh, semi-expert advice and opinions on things. So, Well, why don't you, why don't you just pick one now, Joe? We will do that show, mm. and I think, but I just think it would be nice to have Amy here for that one as well. Amy, unfortunately, isn't, Completely. A, isn't part of the show this week, um, basically because she's crazy busy right now, bless her. Um, yeah. So I think the next time John, Amy and I are in the same space or on the same call, uh, that's when to do properly with these, um, with these exactly. emails, John. But, we'll but grab one now anyway. Just, just scroll through. If you say there's loads, yep. just scroll and stop and um, see what happens. Perfect. I'm going to go with, uh, so we got an email here from a chap called Stuart. Thank you, Stuart. Stuart Campbell has emailed, and this I assume, let me just have a quick float through. Yes, this is following the episode we did with Tom Wood, uh, who is the owner of carandclassic.co.uk and Kazana. Nice. Um, so uh, Stuart says, hi guys, I've listened for this, uh, recently 
finished listening to your podcast with Tom Wood, really enjoyed it. I thought I'd take you up on the offer to ask a question. I've got a 1998 Lotus Elise S1, which I bought a couple of years ago, which I love. The previous owners have made some sensible common mechanical upgrades and I describe it as a very usable car in good condition for its age. It's certainly not original underneath, but the exterior and interior both look completely standard. My question is this, to what extent can I modify the look of this car before it might adversely affect its value. For example, I'd like to enhance or replace the very uncomfortable seats, the standard seats, but I'd be convinced that a non-original interior would put a future buyer off. Um, I have no intentions to sell at the moment, he says, which is a, <laughs> which is a, that's a good sign. That means he genuinely obviously loves the car. Yeah, but I Lotus mean, Elise S1, that, what a car. I mean, that's car. turned into a bit of a design classic now. The first the first iteration of the Elise. Um, yeah, wonderful. Have you had a go in an Elise, know, Andy? I'd more than had a go in one, John. I very, very nearly bought one. I very, ah. very nearly bought one back in my, when I was working at ITV and I had a, I was fortunate enough um, because I was a presenter and stuff. They, they gave me my own parking space underneath the London studios. And I was, I felt, oh, I felt like I'd made it at that point, which is great. And I, and I saw that there was a Lotus uh, Elise for sale. And I was so, and I, and I was very tempted and I took it for a little test drive and I was really, really excited. The thing is on that road on the South Bank where the London studios used to be, mm. they had started installing the most ridiculous sleeping policeman. Ah. And the fact of the matter is, it would, it would have smashed the undercarriage. It was one of them. Mm. They were so bad. And that was the only reason that I didn't buy it. Because I thought it was fun to drive. Cool little car would have been so easy to park and all that. Yeah. But just really fun and, and sprightly. And with regards to his swapping out of the, of the seats, well, save the originals. You know, just keep them. Store them somewhere, you know, and, and put something that you love in. That's what I do. Absolutely. Yeah, assuming you've got the space, I, I guess, you know, with an Elise, you might have a garage or something to keep it in. But yeah, if you've got the space, you know, in a loft or a shed or you know, somewhere dry, I, I, I get this a lot. Um, this question comes up a lot with people modifying cars because, of course, in the track day world and track day communities, often standard seats aren't very good, but often people are driving quite special cars. Um, my M Coupe is a perfect example of this. I've had to change the seats in my M Coupe to be slightly better for the track. And you know, if you've got the facility to, to, to do so, then, of course, you know, if it's going to improve your comfort and your stability and your ability to drive the car, uh, in a bit more of a spirited fashion, in the right uh, in the right time and place, then then absolutely go for it. And but yeah, that your advice exactly you said there, Andy. You took the words out of my mouth. Keep keep the originals as much as you can. Um, ultimately, do anything you want to a car. I'd say uh, my only uh, my opinion steps in occasionally when it comes to silly little things, things like headlights, um, headlights and rear lights. Leave those alone because you know I, I I think often I've never ever seen an aftermarket headlight or rear light that goes onto a car, you know, replacing the OEM part where it looks better. I firmly believe, and I know that is just an opinion thing. There will be people out there that will be shaking their heads and disagreeing, but headlights for me, leave that stuff alone. You know, wheels, yeah, change the wheels, exhausts, change them, seats and interior bits, change them. But if you've got the means to keep the original bits, because you're right, and an S1 as well as an appreciating classic now, Stuart. So uh, I, I can almost guarantee um, you'll probably sell that for a few quid more than you bought it for. And I think it's having got a as little much gem of the there. original stuff as possible, yeah. that's going to help you get that premium price. I, unfortunately, because the majority of the modifications to my own appreciating asset were done on the other side of the world, so this, the, the seats and original wheels and windows and much of the interior for my car are 
in a warehouse or a skip or a, a shed somewhere in Japan. <laughs> so I don't have that luxury. So I say it to you as somebody that might have the luxury. If you can unbolt those bits, replace them with the stuff that's going to make you happier now, but then keep them in a box or somewhere safe for when the time does come to move the car on, then yes. you're onto a winner. It's a cracking little car. Just don't rag it down by LWT. Well, actually, it wouldn't matter now because the, the sleeping policemen now are completely fine. You know, they're now they're kind of those <laughs> long ones where you go up a little bit and then drive along and then go down. But the ones they were putting in when I was there two, three hundred years ago were rubbish. <laughs> they would have wrecked it. Speed humps in an Elise. That is, um, yeah, you, you know about them. You really yeah. do. It's so easy. When you were cruising around in big SUVs and stuff, you kind of, oh, what was that little that little nudge I felt? But in a tiny little Lotus where you are a few inches off the floor, uh, yeah, you, you feel every lump and bump, don't you? Well, actually, the worst of it, John, was the angle into the car park as well. The car park was underneath the, the, the uh, tower yeah. of the studio, and you had such an extreme angle going down that your nose would have scraped as, as the level yeah, floored out. Yeah, the underside, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. no, it was oh, you did just... The, you did the right thing. You, you, you chose to preserve the car. Yeah, which but, is a you know, very very noble of you. <laughs> would, have been, would have been loads of fun, loads of fun. Yeah, anyway, thank thank you for that. What was his name? That's Stuart Stuart Campbell. Stuart, thank, thank you, Stuart. Stuart. That's great. I'll tick that one off the list as as answered. Um, but yes, if you've got a question similar to Stuart's, um, or if you want to fill us in on a a brilliantly hilarious moan about something in the automotive world, or you're buying and selling wind stories, or just a question, yeah, fire us an email podcast at drivenchat.com. It's great fun reading them. There are some really funny things that have come in that I've had a good chuckle at. So, uh, yeah, keep them coming in. Amazing. Hey, shall we jump into our headline star? Let's do it. It's Quentin Wilson. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. I am very pleased to welcome an extremely special guest to the Driven Chat podcast today. A man who I haven't seen for a while, but we have a history, which sounds like it could be dangerous. I love using that sentence. It's the remarkable Mr. Quentin Wilson. How are you doing, Quentin? Fine, Andy. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. When I say we have a history, I mean because we've worked together before. We have indeed. We've done um, live shoots at Land Rover Defender Requiems, which was a lovely day. Um, and, and Andy and I had to really, really think on our, our feet in front of this live audience, saying goodbye to the Defender and, and celebrating it. And it was it was a challenge, uh, but it was good because JLR, you know, it needed a send off that car. And um, it was I remember that day extremely fondly. It was lovely. I remember because we it was when we when we were kind of planning it we were kind of learning about the luminaries that were going to be coming and the amazing stories and the incredible people and there was one name that was coming along and i was like oh this is cool and this was serrano fines and i was like that's very cool and of course you drew, drew the short straw you got to talk to him because <laughs> i was a bit scared because he's such a legend but uh, you handled that so brilliantly quentin to the point where you were calling him ran and I was like, wow, you guys, what, what are you going out for drinks afterwards? You were like properly matey. I've known him and, and met him before and he's sweet and he doesn't stand on ceremony. He, the last thing he, he wants to be called is Sir Ranulph, you know? Hmm. Well, it, it was the epitome of cool as I watched you. You just swaggered over to me like, hey, Ran, how are you doing? And I'm like, oh, my God, how are you doing that? <laughs> Brilliant. No, it was lots of fun. It was lots of fun. But Quentin, listen, welcome to the Driven Chat podcast. You, We should, of course, make it clear to the audience right now, the marvellous Mr. Markar is in the house as well. John, how are you doing? I'm very well. This is great. I'm so, I'm so excited since I saw the, the the Quentin Wilson name pop up on our radar of potential people to talk to. I thought, my goodness, that's, that's really exciting because, Quentin, I see you as a, you're, you're kind of 
pinnacle top deer motoring journalist for me. In fact, I joked earlier because I spoke to a friend on the phone just as I was sent, clicking send on an email to you. And as I sent, I thought, oh, I, I really get troubled whenever I email proper journalists because I think, oh, I bet I've got grammar wrong there. I put a comma in the wrong place or an apostrophe or something's wrong. But Look, yeah, I'm, no, I'm just a journalist that's been around for a long time. And it's great that, that I have been and I've had a, a great career and been able to do all these wonderful things. And like Andy says, read people like, you know, uh, Sir Ranolf and, and, and mm. celebrate great cars like the Defender. So, you know, it's just a job. You, you shouldn't yeah. get carried away. <laughs> no, it's great, though. It's great. You're one of only two famous Quentins in history as well, by the way, Quentin, from what I can tell. There's yourself and Quentin Blake, the Quentin illustrator. Blake, Quentin Durwood, which is a character in a, a novel, wasn't there. Then there's a there's another really, really famous Quentin. Come on, Andy, think of the, 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 the most famous Quentin of all. Come oh, on, man, Tarantino. Who am I? Oh, God. Yeah, I, crikey, I should run myself over. <laughs> in fact, he'd probably approve, to be fair. So, <laughs> yes, of course. Yes, fantastic. And I've, I've no problem, because when I was a kid, being called Quentin, um, and I was at American grade school um, for a year, was just like the worst thing in the world. Quentin, what sort of a name is that? Whack. Um, and and you, you toughened up really, really, really quickly. But then, then there was that documentary, wasn't there? Quentin Crisp, The Naked Civil Servant, which was even worse. So for years, I wanted to be called anything but Quentin. You know, John, Jib, Bib, anything but Quentin. Uh, and then Tarantino burst on with, with Pulp Fiction and suddenly the name was cool. And it has remained cool ever since, really. Yes, that's it. Yeah, I can't I like believe it. I forgot isn't, isn't that terrible that I forgot him? I mean, you you and John have similar issues, Quentin. Of course, you mentioned that you had challenges growing up because of Quentin. Well, nobody ever believes that Markar is John's real surname. It's true. I still get it to this day. I get people uh, often saying, yeah, but that, that's got to be a, that's a, that's a industry-associated created surname, isn't it? I, mean, I would have come up with a slightly better spelling than M-A-R-C-A-R if that, if that was the case. I would have just called myself Johnny Carr or something, you know. But um, yeah, no, that's, it's, it's real. Well, I've called uh, one daughter Minnie, M-I-N-I, and the other one Mercedes. So, look. <laughs> well, there you go. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> well, hang on. I think I know a fact about Mercedes, Quentin. Doesn't she work for Jaguar Land Rover? She does, yeah. And she'll yes. pick up the telephone. Uh... Mercedes Wilson, Jaguar Land Rover. <laughs> and it really does confuse people. <laughs> Mercedes Wilson does sound like a, a very legitimate Mercedes dealership, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. A bit like Lucas BMW, yeah. you know, it, it just sounds... Yeah. It sounds Mercedes right. Wilson Beverly Hills, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, bless her, she That's works in, in events and it, it, it's lovely, so... Oh, superb. But she must have had to explain that Oh, millions of times, yeah, yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's a, a long-standing joke and, and the, the chairman, uh, the Ralph Spate, would, would come up to me at launches and say, your daughter... Mercedes, mm, big joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, he used to be, I mean, I don't want to sort of give away any kind of trade secrets about Dr. Ralph Spate, or he's now Sir, isn't he? Sir yeah, Ralph yeah, Spate, he is. All right. Yeah. Um, obviously, Quentin and I have spent a bit of time with him. He's a really charismatic, very nice guy. But I have sort of heard on the grapevine that, you know, woe betide anyone that's working for him, even if they're in a freelance capacity, that, that dares to park in the car park in something that isn't a JLR vehicle, because mm. he's not a huge fan of that. You know? No, and that's great. I mean, uh, you can take it to limits, sure. But the thing about uh, Ralph was he's passionate about cars, passionate about Jaguar Land Rover, owns, you know, classic Jaguars. And it has it, 
you know, going through his veins. And that's what any CEO of a large car company with, with such a stellar reputation as JLR should be like. You can't carry passengers. You have to be heart and soul in that, that business. And to be able to kind of convey that, that, that passion to, to everybody you meet. And I would do concours at owners clubs at the NEC with, with Ralph and he'd give up his time and we'd go and we'd judge these cars. And he and I would be under the bonnet and he'd be looking at labels and saying, that's not right. Um, and I loved that detail. And, and the fact that yeah. this is the CEO of one of the biggest car companies and one of the most successful ones in the world. And he knows about the detail on the label on the Mark II air cleaner. And hey, you yeah. know, respect. That's OCD of yeah. the highest and the best to, to sort. <laughs> the most appropriate. He's the ultimate car geek. It's what you need. Although he's not with JLR anymore, is he? Hasn't he? Has he moved to a, a bike firm? He has I moved on. I don't know where. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it, it might be a bike firm, but they, they, they do move on. But he did he did a good stint at JLR, and I, I have a great deal of time for him. I've got Norton in my head for some reason, but it can't, I mean, that can't be right. I'll, I'll see if I can find it whilst we're chatting, because it's, you know, the power of the internet here. But, yeah, he's definitely moved somewhere quite interesting. I thought it was quite an interesting step for him. Because, you know, you, you wouldn't expect that going from JLR to, to somewhere like that. But I think I'll he's, he's still on the board chatting. of JLR in a supervisory right. capacity. <clears throat> right. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, w- well, while I do a little bit of digging, um, because I, I now need to know for my own sense, <laughs> you know, one of the things that we were sort of lucky to be able to chat to Quentin about is that there's been some research out. And, of course, it's one of those things that neither John nor I would have even thought about this mm. because I have three young kids, but none of them are of driving age yet. And John, well, he's determined not to breed, so that's <laughs> not going to be on his on his radar, probably for the good of humankind. But, of course, there is a colossal number of people who would have sat their driving tests over the last mm. 12 months or so, who would have been out learning to drive, who would have been getting experience. And, actually, what better time than the start of lockdown when the roads were empty? But, of course, they couldn't. So we've got this huge backlog now, which I don't think, Andy, will clear for maybe two years. I mean, literally millions of kids who would have normally done driving lessons and taken tests over this this 12-month lockdown period that we've had, who haven't been able to go near a car and just drive with their parents and, and not have instructors and not go on uh, on driving tests and not, not book. And it's been so bad that their theory tests that they took before the lockdown are now expiring because they haven't been able to course, take the, yeah. the practical tests. So that's not fair, is it? It's not I mean, fair. And, that doesn't and, and sound we're, right. We're trying to get the government to extend it. And James, James May has joined me in, in this campaign that, you know, you take your, your theory test, you pass it. It's not your fault that we've had a pandemic and a lockdown. No. And the skills you've learned yeah. are still going to be in your head. But so we, we thought, look, um, how can we help these kids? Um, and, and it's so expensive to learn to drive. And, and, I thought, look, let, let's, let's look at why can't we use VR to replicate the environment of a car? Um, so we did an experiment. This is Young Driver. It's a company that I'm a patron, a patron of, which teaches kids from 11 to, to 17 to drive off, off-road on, on special sites. So we put this 360 camera in and this big jumbo computer into the Vauxhall Corsa with a, a ADI instructors, approved, approved driving instructors, and drove, drove around and, and replicated the road systems and filmed it all and did all the classic things you do in driving lessons and driving tests. Did a whole driving, driving test as well. And came back and looked at it and thought, this is, this is really interesting because you feel like you're in the car with your VR headset or on your phone 
Um, and and you can you can feel what it's like to to to, to move into a junction, to go round a roundabout, to prepare for a roundabout, to go onto a smart motorway, to merge, to do bay parking, to do parallel parking. So we did that huge job of cutting all this footage together, and then uh, cutting out the stuff that we, we wouldn't wouldn't use, and miles and miles of it, and then narrating it, and 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 putting it into twelve different lesson tutorials. So all you do is, if you want to, to reprise, and this isn't a substitute for, 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 for your driving instructor, this is a, a, a repeat learning process. If you want to reprise your parallel parking, or your bay parking, your, your roundabout technique, you just look on your phone um, and, and, and go like that and you are in the car. And, and, and mm. you, can, you can see what's happening, you can see the road system, you can, you can see behind you even. Um, and it, it works really, really well. So we thought this is a really, interesting affordable accessible way to keep kids repeating the lessons that they've learned with their instructor or are about to learn and at 4.99 a month you know how, how cheap is that less than a fiver absolutely yeah, and, and you're only going to use it for a certain amount of time completely whilst, yeah up to yeah. the point that you need to take the test i think it's fantastic so you've seen it haven't you yeah well i've seen a little demo yeah, version demo. of it and it looks fantastic yeah. it just makes so much sense i always think like anything else, if you're in a, a practical learning environment, be that driving or even a musical instrument per se, if you don't have the facility to have a, a, a guitar and a, you know, make a load of noise at home whilst learning the guitar, quite often you read a book, you read the technicalities of, of learning, whatever it is you're trying to master, and driving has been no different for years. There's, there are heaps and heaps and heaps of books, even through to the motorsport world, of improve your driving through reading. Now, reading is great for a small proportion of people because, of course, if you're able to put yourself in the position of the author and understand exactly the tone that the author is writing in, then that's fine. But if you're not an avid reader, because a lot of people aren't, um, and I, for example, my attention span is, is quite bad when it comes to reading pages and pages of copies, so I go away with the fairies. If I've got something physical in front of me in the form of VR or a phone I can hold and twizzle around, to me, that is so much better than reading a book. It, that, will, that will teach me so much more. And I, I just think it's fantastic. I, I can't think that it, it's not a thing already. It's just Exactly, brilliant. and it's, it's this muscle memory thing. And I, I believe this firmly with, 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 with learning to drive. That, And I, I've, I've taught three kids to learn to drive, that you've got to get them to just repeat this instinctively. Not to have to think about it, but just come up to a junction and know what to do. Left, right, left again, and, and off you go. And, and not have that mental process, what do I do now? And this ability to repeat these lessons visually so they are embedded in your muscle memory, I think is just the, the, the way forward. So it, it's a classic small business, lockdown, innovative, off we go. And I think, you know, if it... If it saves lives, if it makes it easy for kids, if it, if it helps them get through this backlog, then the, the job's been a good one, really. Absolutely, absolutely. I think this serves two purposes as well, Quentin, because the, 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 the whole idea of it, it's a bit like racing drivers who learn the track using sims, isn't mm. it? It's, it's kind of getting familiar with what's to come. You're not replacing the real world experience, you can't, but you are getting yourself in the, in the zone for it, which I think is absolutely critical. And what's great is that not only is this clearly going to be extremely helpful and actually very cost-effective comparatively. But also it's, it's good to see a young company that has had understandable challenges during the pandemic because they've not been able to keep going find another way to have another route to market 
that serves them as well as serves the audience. I think it's a really clever thing. To it, do. It's a great business story, isn't it? That here we are, you know, yeah. wondering what are we going to do? Uh, nobody's learning to drive. How do we get through this? Let's be inventive. Let's not be glum. Let's not be suicidal. Let's create something new. And 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 having that kind of clarity of no phones ringing and nobody bothering you allowed us to be really, really creative and to take risks and say, look, let, let's oh. just stick this camera in this car. We had a few issues with it kind of jiggling over the crappy potholes and everything, but broadly it's worked really, really, really well. And, and you just see what's happening and you're, you're yeah. that close to the driver. And the, the great thing, my favorite bit is a whole driving test. We filmed a whole driving test with a ah, with an actor as a driving instructor who was that lovely dour. I'd like to turn left at the next junction, please. Um, and and he played it absolutely brilliantly. And and you're in there and you do your heart's going like this. So as, as far as I know, that's the first time we've ever had a driving test, and that's from arriving, uh, going into the waiting room, putting your license down, reading the number plate off the wall, going out, doing the show me tell me question in, underneath the bonnet, and then going out and listening to these short, terse instructions. And it's kind of great. And at the end, I'm pleased to be able to say you passed your driving test. You know? <laughs> Brilliant. He didn't, he didn't do any of the back chat that I got when I was told I was, I'd passed my test then. No. That was something I, I would, uh, that was the only thing I would include if I were you, which is when I, when I was told I passed, <laughs> I passed first time, hallelujah. And the guy was going, yeah, well done, you've, you've passed. Like, like in the most throwaway, you know, you kind of fluked it. And I went, oh, that's great. You know, I was li- like thrilled. And he went, oh, I wouldn't be too excited. You'll probably have a crash within the first month <laughs> and a chimp could pass this test. <laughs> and did you? Right. Did you though? Thanks. I, I didn't, but but someone smashed my wing mirror off. Oh, well, that's, uh, that doesn't after, count. After that two months. Count. No, that doesn't Well, count. I felt like the curse had, you know, had been lifted. Did so you get that any, was, you know, I have that, to ask, though, did you get any minors in your test, Andy? No, no, I, I absolutely aced it. But no I mean, this minors. was so, first time. so long ago, John. Yeah, first wow. time. That, first I mean, time. I passed first was, time, but, I, uh, but it, it, it says, all the data says that actually people who pass second time are yeah, the safer drivers. Yeah. Yeah, that's what that's what I've heard as well. That's what the failures say, Quentin, and that's fine. You know, <laughs> that's okay. That's I, I passed <laughs> that's first time, right so I, I'm in the same club, but I got my brilliant thing, I only got three minors. I can't remember what two of them are for, but one of them, believe it or not, was for being too polite. Because yeah. in the point <laughs> No, I get true. that. I'm always telling my doing... son, come on, push, get across that road, otherwise yeah. you'll sit here forever. Well, that was it. I, mine was for doing a three-point turn, or they couldn't call it that, whatever it was, a turn in the road. And uh, I saw a white van coming up from the road. And, and from my instructor days, from having the instructor beside me, he'd always say, I'll just hold fire. We'll let that traffic come past. And that's exactly what I did in the test. And then as we got back to the uh, test centre, the, the, the examiner said, well, I'm very pleased to say you passed, but you have got three minors. And one of them is because of the, the polite hesitation you gave to the white van. And I was like, well, come on, I was being nice. Wow. <laughs> Drive fast. I've noticed that. I've <laughs> yeah. noticed there's a difference as well in the regions. So when I lived in London, I had a certain driving style, which was a face mm. effectively just force your way in. Yeah, yeah. You know, pretend you're in a dodgem. Effectively, go for it. And then when I moved out into the sort of countryside, I remember my wife sitting next to me about two weeks into living around here, and she went. You've got to stop driving like it's London. Yeah. These people, these people are nice people. <laughs> they, they will remember you, and they will wave at you and smile at you, and you, they let you out, you let them out, and I'm like, no, it's not how I know how to do these things. It's very <laughs> true. Yeah, Dri- drive in Devon and come on now, we're not going to go do first here. And then, as you say in London, it's come on, come on, come on. 
Well, I, yes. I, I currently live, I'm just in the process of moving, but I currently live very close to central Birmingham. And let me tell you, that's an experience. It completely ran out. I grew, I was, I grew up in London and my, did my driving test in southwest London. And I was very much a London driver. And I thought, well, now that I'm a London driver, I'm very capable of driving in Birmingham. But uh, as anyone that lives in or around central Birmingham will tell you, it's... Uh, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a different experience of to, having to, to push whom in. indicators aren't just a mystery, they're an irrelevance. Oh, no, uh, and that's just the beginning <laughs> of it. Indicators are one thing. There's also, there may be two or three or sometimes four lanes of the road, or occasionally six if you include the pavement. So, you know, <laughs> you just kind of make it up as you go along. I know. Oh, one yeah, day we'll fun. know about these regional variations and what they mean and what they, what they say about us, but... You know, you do have to adjust your your kind of standards and your your observation as well. You've got to be really on your metalling in, in in Birmingham and Coventry. And anyway, let's mm. not go down that road. Otherwise, we'll be <laughs> we'll be accused of being regional. That's true. That's true. We'll, we'll be we'll be accent bashing next, and that will be uh, yeah. that will be a disaster for us. Well, I mean, the other thing that I like about this, Quentin, and this reminds me of a conversation that you and I have had historically, and, and this is going to sound a bit glib, but I like the fact that there are clearly these huge numbers of people that are still wanting to learn to drive, because mm. I remember, must have been three or four years ago, Quentin, when, when you were saying to me, do you know what, there's a lot of young people that just can't be bothered, they don't want to learn anymore, and I couldn't understand it. I was like, why? Mm. Driving's amazing. So the fact that there's this huge backlog, yes, of course, it's hugely frustrating for them, but ultimately, I would say it's good news for, yeah. for the people that still want to get out and about, isn't it? I think there's, there's two, two reasons for that, Andy. When we were talking about this, this was in the, in the kind of height of the anti-car rhetoric, where, you know, two wheels good, four wheels bad. And we, we really, really, really had a lot of that. And it, it went from, from, from the Blair years all the way through to, 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 to the Cameron years. And, 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 and now we're seeing less of it. But... Uh, th there was rabid anti-car hatred and, 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 and huge lobbying from, from, from the cyclists. But I think what's, what's changed dramatically is that people, kids don't really want to travel on public transport anymore for a myriad of reasons. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. and this, this, this freedom that you and I talked about, this liberation, this life-affirming ability to get into a car and go where you want, um, that hasn't gone away, but it was obscured. Um, and I think they listen to us and they say, oh, I don't want to have parking tickets. I don't want to have um, speed camera, you know, courses and stuff like that. But but they realise now that they can't go everywhere on bus. And that great white hope, the modal shift that we can all have this interconnected, smart, urban, integrated transport system. It ain't happening anytime soon. And, and the, the, the solution to mass transportation across the world, the only one that works is this box with four maybe five seats and, and and four wheels and the thing that's going to change is how it's fueled and powered and i did a thing mm -hmm. today on 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 bbc breakfast about e-scooters and, and we've got to do something you know we have to allow people to ride on electric scooters in town because they can give up those 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 impulsive journeys which are recreational leisure in cars and and, and, and use scooters so the car isn't going to go away how we fuel and power it is going to change and mm. And in cities, there has to be an alternative. Yeah. Yes, the e-scooters is, is an interesting shout, Quentin, because for a long time, you know, you were only allowed to ride them in certain places like, and even certain areas of the royal parks, you weren't allowed to use them. Um, and it's a very delicate subject for me as well, because I have a friend who lost her life. On, on of course, yeah. She, she, yeah, she was, she was out of control and... Uh, just having never used it because people don't realise the instant talk if it's set to a certain way. And, it, you know, it def desperately sad, poor Emily Hartridge. Uh, she was a lovely, lovely girl. So 
I do feel that e-scooters are aligned with there needs to be education around it. Mm. You know what I mean? I don't, th- I don't think you should just let people go on the roads on e-scooters. I think there should be some sort of course or test that makes and that. Yeah, you have to protect people from do. themselves. That's, that's, yeah. that's an obligation because people are nuts and crazy. But if you look at, and I was, I was researching this for BBC Breakfast, um, if you look at the amount of fatalities globally on e-scooters since they, they were introduced, it's 29 people have died, which is bad and, 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 and a terrible, devastating loss of life. But in the millions of miles travelled and the, the hours and hours and hours of, of scooter use, 29 fatalities globally, it's not huge. Mm. No, no, I, I hear what you're saying. And obviously it's, it's particularly sensitive for me because I know one of the 29. But, but nonetheless, I've used a scooter myself. I've, I've had a go on a few, you know, particularly they're very helpful at racetracks, you know. All yeah, the yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. Super, it's brilliant yeah. to get to get from one side to the other. And actually, I think if people know how to control them, if there is that education, then there are brilliant, especially in towns, mm. there are brilliant, like you say, door-to-door, cost-effective. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it, would, it makes a lot of sense. And indeed, little, you know, little electric bikes, you know, there's a, lot, there's a resurgence of these as well. You know, and, the, and the, of course, that will see them come down in price, that will yes. see selection, yeah. etc. So it's, you, all, it's all good to see. You've also, Andy, got to say, uh, uh, there's a bigger picture here. We should be making those in this country. We should be making the batteries in this country. I mean, Insta, uh, uh, British Vault have just signed a deal yesterday to have a gigafactory up in Northumberland where we make batteries yeah. and we sell them to the rest of the world. So we could be making the batteries for electric cars and electric cycles and electric scooters here in the UK. And, 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 and this is a huge industry. So instead of whining about, well, people are leaving on the corners and, you know, they're going to knock me down and they came so close to my car the other day. Let's look at the opportunities that this presents for this country in this post-industrial technical phase we're going to be going through post-COVID. Mm, absolutely yes yeah. the, yes the the in-house battery manufacturing is absolutely essential isn't it especially with brexit and we all know that the sort of ripple effect now with i i think most people i know now have been affected with the postage and packaging scandal yes. you know that i've i've had to pay 30 quid for something that cost less than that because it was coming from belgium and it's like well, come on mm. with the new imports it's just it's just mad so that's only going to be escalated in the car industry of course when people hold you hostage for a certain part that you can only get that's manufactured abroad so that is inevitably going to come back to powertrains. And if we have control of that here, that's very, very, very And, and you and I know with our well, dealings with JLR that we are world-class on cars in this country. We really, really are. We just don't shout about it. Um, and, and we have the people, the skills, the technology, the research and development. I mean, the Warwick Battery Centre, you know, close, close to where I am now in Stratford-upon-Avon, that, that is completely world-class. So we should be doing more of this stuff and, and not moaning and just getting on and being world-class about it and sell this stuff to the Chinese rather than them selling it to us. But talking about the price of postage, I've got this 1964 Ford Mustang and I have to buy stuff from America. And it's just like, I was looking at a fuel tank the other day, it's $100 for the fuel tank. $800 for the shipping. Wow. <laughs> just, I'll, okay, I'll have one made. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, was, I, was, I was about to say, I have a friend who's very close to you, Quentin, in, in and around Stratford, who could make one for you for a fraction of that cost. So well, there we go. Yeah, yeah. you must give me their number. I will. <laughs> what I love, what I love is John has managed to successfully turn the podcast once again into a business opportunity for another of <laughs> yeah, his friends. Yeah. 
there's a recurring theme. John is so connected. <laughs> I also love that you're giving this advice to Quentin Wilson, John, as if he can't just pick up the phone to his well, own no, look, mechanical life team. Life is about people. a series of opportunities, isn't it? And I'm a, a great believer that you have to, to, to make them because they come along and, and, and present themselves, you know. Well, that's and it. my but life is all about these opportunities. The uh, in, in fairness, in fairness to me and to Quentin, you you all have a loose link as to who this individual is because you you like I frequent often at uh, Cafe Number yeah, Two, which is our it. local watering hole. So that lovely bar um, within the main yeah. pit, it's a, the chap Wayne that made that bar. He can make you that fuel tank. Oh, brilliant! Great, so and they could put baffles in it to stop the fuel sloshing. Exactly. Oh, exactly. now you're talking. And it'll look beautiful. You see, well. I mean. <laughs> You've made my day. You'll need to get you'll need to get two, Quentin. One for the car and one for the wall. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, there you go. A, a thing of beauty. Now look, we're coming full circle to the CEO of uh, of JLR or former CEO, mm. Ralph Spate. I told you I'd look him up to find out where he's gone because I do think this is quite interesting, Quentin. Uh, he's gone to sit on the board of TVS, so the one of the companies that makes Indian motorcycles. Oh, okay. Ah. Good. Well, he's be- you know an engineer first and a, a CEO second and 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 terribly terribly erudite and and and, and learned and experienced and and I would talk to him about electric cars and I, I have to be fair and say that I think Ralph was wrong because he said you couldn't really make any money out of electric cars and the density of the batteries and I think that's been proved that's been proved wrong um, and and we agreed to disagree. Um, but I've got a Tesla Model 3 um, and it's just like, whoa, you know, it just mm. they're so good. And, and I think Jaguar were late to the party with the electric cars. And the I-Pace is fantastic, but they should have been doing that much, much earlier on. Yeah. And they should have a more credible range of, of electric cars. That's, I mean, that's inevitably going to happen, isn't it? That's on every single manufacturer's roadmap. It's a must-do now. I can't think of any manufacturer that is going, nah, you're right, we won't, we'll just ride it but out. They and did, that'll never, They that'll did, never for a long time. Yeah. They yeah. would say to me, no, you're mad. And I was promoting them uh, in 2011, and I would, I would take them and show them to Clarks, and he'd say, you're a twat, you know? And, <laughs> <laughs> and who's laughing now, you know? Um, and, and I think it's really important that the public know that these electric cars work, and I was having a go at ministers the other day because I said, you know, how many MPs and ministers actually drive electric cars every day? Silence. I mean, we know Grant Shouts Shou- has got a Tesla, but that's about it. So this is the wrong message yeah. you're sending out here, people. You can't go around in a Prius or a, a diesel people carrier and then lecture us about electric cars unless you own one and you do the duty cycles and plug them and charge them and all this sort of stuff. Um, so, again, we, we've got a lot of work to do, but they are here to stay, that's for sure. Is there a company car scheme for 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 PMs and uh, and politicians? Have the because if there is, I mean that that should be a slam dunk. You would think that so. would be an absolute no brainer. They have to be very careful. But you, if you've got a limited company, you can you can buy an electric car and have the first years um, take. You can have a, a subsidise the first years depreciation against your 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 capital gains. So. You know, if you pay a lot in capital gains, the car's free. And there's no benefit in, 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 in uh, BIK, benefit in kind, cost. So it's, it's actually so cheap to do it. But that message is not, not going through. And MPs, I'm sure, could find a way to drive these cars. We mustn't give them special privileges. I didn't get any special privileges when I bought my Tesla. You pay full whack. Elon doesn't give you any favours whatsoever. Um, you, you pay the same as everybody else. And, and they should, because they need to put their money where their mouth is and say, right, promote electric cars. 
I drive one. Yeah. Well, I know I know someone, a very successful businessman, who bought a Porsche Taycan, or however you say the mm. Taycan. Yeah, there's all, all sorts of different variants on it, aren't there? And he bought one on the on the advice of his accountant, which was literally, look, don't care what you do with it, but if you buy yeah. it, I'll it, it will serve me brilliantly. Mm. And he bought the most expensive one because he was told effectively it would make him save yeah, money, exactly. not believing it for yeah, a second. Yeah. And guess what? He's now in love with electric cars. Not because it saved him money, but because he bought it because he felt he had to, mm. and now he loves it. And it's, Why know, hasn't that message gone out properly? That if you've got a small business or a big business, you cannot afford not to buy an electric car because you just mm. pay all that money in, in corporation tax. I think there must be some incentive. I don't know because I've not looked into this, but I, I don't know about you both, but I've seen so many Porsche takens on the road recently. And I think there has to be, there, there just has to be yeah, something. You that, can write off 100% of the cost of it in the first year. And right. if, it, well, if you have to pay, it. what does it take, Anne, 85 grand? If you have to pay yeah, 85, yeah. 100 grand in corporation tax, you get yeah. the take, Anne, and you don't pay the tax. That's a good deal, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. It makes, it makes a lot of sense. Do you know what? I reckon probably what's happened, and if it hasn't, then it should have done, is somebody very savvy at Porsche Marketing should have phoned all the accountants' firms for com- some of these key small businesses and said, listen, this is, this is the law. So why not make yeah. the most of it with us? I wonder if maybe that has happened, if there has been that, or or certainly the right people seated in the right crowds have all been told, here's here's something worth mentioning at your next dinner well, party. Well, it, it's your next about conference. word of mouth, isn't it? Because all the all the, the adverts and the go ultra low and, and office of low emission vehicles, they're not getting through. And, and mm. we need people to understand that A, these things work, and I can drive down from Warwickshire to London and back on a single charge in my Tesla without faffing about it all. Um, and and that the, they actually save you money. The the joy of not going into petrol stations, you've no idea. It's just mm. so liberating. I mean, we've got a Range Rover as well, and, and it's just, oh, do I have to take it? You fill it up. No, please. <laughs> so so and I, what I love and, about And don't forget, there's no servicing bills. You just have to rotate the tyres. So no oil, no spark plugs, no exhaust, none of that. And it, it's just... When you add up the costs over a five-year ownership period, it it really is going to be very very cheap indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you make you make a very compelling argument, but of course we do we would miss the V eight noise, and that's the and yeah that's we the wouldn't. Challenge. I'm that's lucky rub, because I've got, I can I could choose the the sixty four V eight Mustang or the Range Rover or the Tesla, but do you know most of the time. My son and I will go in this Tesla because it does not sixty in three point seven seconds. Mm. <laughs> yeah, what's yeah, not to love? And it does it in this argument. incredible silence. Yeah, Quentin, you're you're so informed with the way the automotive industry is is working and and the reasons things happen that I wonder if you can solve a dilemma that we had last week. And we've not been able to get an answer to it yet. But it, there's an advert out at the moment that John is absolutely loving. He's, it's his new kind of favourite, which is the Go Left campaign. If you're on a hard, you know, if you're on the motorway and you break down, Go Left. And John can sing you the tune if you'd like a reminder of it. But it, it got us, well, it got us questioning, who needs to see that? Yeah, because who, needs who to be doesn't realise that you go onto the hard shoulder if you're in trouble on the motorway? Well, you know, you say that... Um... And, and these public information things have been around for a long time and governments think, you know, they, they need to do this. But then go, let's go on a motorway, Andy, and let's see people's driving standards. And sometimes you are going, whoa, what? You know, and you, you constantly, I say, where's the police car when you need it? 
Yeah. And so <laughs> I, I guess there, there are a lot of people out there. And don't forget, it's only recently that we've been taught to drive on a motorway. For a long, long, long time, people had no training. You know, you took your driving test and then you were legally able to go on a motorway without being trained at all. So that kind of ill discipline, if we can call it, um, that people have inherited over the years, and a lot of them are kind of mature or older drivers, um, it doesn't surprise me at all that people need to know that you need to go left and have a catchy tune. It's bonkers, I know. And I yeah. completely agree with you, John, but it's just the sad reality that... The, People don't really, they're not interested about driving. And that's why, no, you're you know, right. going back to the, 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 the VR thing and, 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 and teaching kids and getting them engaged at an early age, this is really, really important. Because if you treat driving like a, putting a tumble dryer or a, 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 a dishwasher, it's always just going to be a mechanical process that you don't think about. You just get in and you go. But if you've taken interest in it and, and, and you start to really engage with the subject matter, it will make you a better driver. Absolutely. Yeah. No question about it at all. That's Go point. left. I'd be very interested to hear your opinion on the driving test as a as a subject now, because I mean, it's been I've been driving now for gosh, let me think, fifteen years. So when I did my driving test, I would have been, I think I turned seventeen, and I immediately did the theory, and then as soon as I possibly could, I got the practical test done, like so many petrol heads of that age. And I remember thinking at the time, even as a as somebody that was new to using the roads, like a lot of academia we're often taught how to pass a test as opposed to taught the technique mm -hmm. and of course the interesting thing for me my interest was once I had the car driver's license the first thing I wanted to do was go and do track driving because that was my interest I wanted you know like all of us wanted to be a racing driver therefore I wanted to go and get as much experience driving on track as possible and it wasn't until I was preparing to go out for my first laps on a on a motoring on a motor racing circuit that I thought hang on a minute nobody's actually taught me the physics of a car, how a car handles, what happens when the brakes get hot, what happens when the tyres change compound and the temperature changes on the tyres, what happens if it rains. There'd been no, nothing at all about the physics, the dynamics or the, the ability of driving, which goes all the way through to how to use a motorway. I know that that is now included in, in the lesson structure, but when I did my test, it was, a, it was an option. You could do a pass plus where we take you on the motorway, but only when you've passed your test. So there was no aspect of it. Uh, in your experience, because I'm so detached now from, from that world, has it got better? Are we now teaching people how to drive or is it still very much, here's what you need to do in order to get the mark? No, we still teach them a process, how to pass mm. a test. Um, and that level of driving skill you are supposed to learn as mm. you go on through experience and I think yeah. you're right that you know for people who are interested in driving and, and and protecting themselves their loved ones and other road users there's a really powerful argument for post-test training where yeah. you are taught about mass and weight and how it can shift and affect the balance of the car and tire compounds tire wear braking distances wet and and, and budget tires there's, there's a whole world of stuff that can affect whether you live or die in a car mm. and people aren't aren't taught about this and you know the greatest amount of casualties for young drivers um post post test are on country roads and at, at yeah. night in bad weather now to me that that's kind of like a huge red flag why are we not teaching them a specific course of going around in a country road with an instructor at night 
knowing what to do about blind bends and oncoming headlights and possible yeah. horses coming the other direction. You know, so many kids die on country roads and, and we just kind of shrug our shoulders and say it's, it's the legitimate risk of learning to drive. No, it isn't. Mm. Yeah, so I think you're crazy. absolutely right. The, 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 there's a lot more. I mean, you can't force people to do this, but I think you could open up an extra training module and maybe we're the people to do this, where if you are really keen on cars, then let's make you a really, really good driver. And then you absolutely. can be like me who goes out and just constantly shouts at people. <laughs> <laughs> well, because good driving was incentivized with insurance, wasn't it? The, the black box system is, is yeah. still in play, I believe. You know, that, that should be, if it you is, do extra courses, your insurance comes down, etc. So there must be a way to make this more, there's there bound to be insurers that would jump at that sort of opportunity. Well, it's, so I've been through this. Years ago, I went from enjoying track days to I wanted to organise track days. So my, my world was small events, organising track days for people to bring their own cars and drive around circuits all over the world. And I remember at the time we, we were having conversations with big insurance companies. One of them was uh, Richard Egger, REIS Insurance. We used to talk to Richard Egger and say, right, you know, what would it cost us to get insurance for a day? And then, of course, naturally the conversation went, well, um, what, would it in, what would it cost for us to insure our company cars? And the, the, the picture got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then the conversation went on to, is there any advantage in us telling you as an insurer or any insurer that we're all now advanced driving instructors. We teach people the physics of driving. Is that going to get us a lesser, a, a lower quote in our insurance? And the answer, believe it or not, was no, you're probably better off not telling your insurance company that you oh, are man. a track day driver and a, an avid driver because it means that statistically, although you know the risks and you know that physics can be a damn scary thing sometimes, you're also now a bit more likely to press on a bit because you have the ability to know Oversteer what to do when the back yeah, end yeah, steps yeah. out or the, or the steering doesn't quite do what you want it to do and it's it's a it is a bizarre world but yeah the whole past plus and the black box thing I, I mean that's something i grumble about all the time because i've got young relatives late teens early 20s who are in this horrible world of insurance yeah they're going out and buying a Vauxhall Corsa for 900 quid and then paying six or seven thousand pounds a year to insure the damn thing and that's if they get this black box fitted. And as far as I can work out, all the black box is doing is making sure that you're accelerating gently, braking gently, not steering it's got, aggressively. It's accelerometer on it, yeah, yeah. And not, um, not exceeding speed limits. And I just think, but that, that it, you'd be, you become so obsessed with trying to make sure that you're not triggering the accelerometers or not going over the speed limit and focusing on what the black box is doing, that your attention span surely is being taken off of what's coming towards you or coming around the corner or what the road conditions are. It's not ideal, John, uh, sure, but it's better than doing your, your driving on a postcode, your insurance, yeah, which is true. what it's always yes. been, which is nice. Yeah. Um, and, and a young driver, and this is a, a shameless plug, we've, we're also developing a product where, because if, if you take young driver lessons with us, we know you're a, a safer driver, so we can offer special young driver insurance for £1,000 a year. Wow. Fully wow. comp, you know, if you're 17 and you've just passed your test uh, in a Vauxhall Corsa, because you've taken lessons with us, we will we will give you, you have a black box, obviously, but, mm. and, and you take, we have drive doctors who will come in and teach you extra skills and things. So that's another part of, 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 of rolling this forward, because £6,000 to insure a Fiat Punter or a Vauxhall Corsa, yeah. it's completely yes. nuts. And it stops mm, people it's either learning to drive at all or 
being legal and buying insurance. So it, it's all got to yeah. change in the industry. And we can we can say this out loud with our megaphone. It needs to be better at this, the insurance mm-hmm. industry, because it can incentivize people and it can help us um, make society better at driving. Yeah. I must say, though, now, now we're talking about black boxes, I would quite like to fit a black box to John Markar's car just for a month, <laughs> just to see what sort of a... A sort of read we'd get on it. Well, look, here's, I, something. here's the thing. My son had one for a long time, and when my wife and I used to drive his car, they would ring up. <laughs> no way, really. <laughs> you have to tell your son to slow down. <laughs> oh, I'll do that. Oh, yeah, yes, I, <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. We should. We should be much more serious about this. But that, that's the only problem. If you're driving your child's car with the black box. Be careful. Wow. <laughs> I must say, though, and I, and I realise I'm, I'm re-plugging your plug, Quentin, but it sounds so good. You know, after everything you've been telling us, youngdriver.com sounds like uh, just an absolute no-brainer. People, mm. people should, they'd be mad not to be, be visiting and seeing all of the riches that are on the site. We're trying very quietly, and, and we've done a million, we will have done a million lessons um, uh, to, wow. to kids uh, from, from 11 to, to 17 over the last decade. And that's a lot. And when we first began it, people said, oh, you're you're just going to teach people how to steal cars and it's going to be disastrous. We've (laughs) never had anybody steal a car. We've never had a kid have an accident uh, after after our training. um, And and they've always gone to pass their tests. and, and, And the feedback we get is that, you know, he or she is just a perfect driver. He's learned so much or she's learned so much. So I think it's, it's, it's a road safety revolution. Nobody in government is interested because cars and learning to drive is not on the political landscape, not on the agenda. So we just quietly carry on doing this. But if you have got children who are uh, 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 learning to drive age, I would counsel you to just come and have a look and, and see because we teach them how to drive responsibly. And it's this thing about... And, and you and I, uh, we all understand this. You, 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 there's a time when you are receptive to road safety messages, and that's probably when you're 12, 13, 14, 15. But when you get to Grand Theft Auto, when you get to Top Gear, when you get to Call yeah, of Duty, yeah. you like that. You don't care mm-hmm. about the road safety messages. You're just not listening. So you, you, you're just at GTA 5 and, and crashing into everything. <laughs> By that stage, you've lost them. So if you can embed yeah. those messages into their minds when they are receptive to road safety, it's a huge, huge benefit. You can't mm. teach a 17-year-old mm. about road safety. No. That's so interesting. I used to say, Quentin, that I always felt that there should be some kind of mandatory crash course, you know, where, where, where new drivers were experiencing a crash so that they realise they're not in a protective bubble because I, there is this level of invincibility. I absolutely There's a new VR, I, <laughs> VR the, thing we can do. Yeah. But, that, but, uh, but the, I mean, it, it should be. I, I remember I have had this exact conversation, I think, with my dad. Again, this was going back to the time where I'd really started getting into my track day driving. I bought a little MX-5 and it was perfect and I put sticky tyres on and better suspension and every spare bit of cash that I could find would be spent on going to a track day somewhere and just hooning around. And I remember at the point where you really start to push yourself. And um, we used to organize a lot of car control days. So we'd take a, a old bit of runway and put some cones down and sometimes grease up the surface a little bit to teach people the art of oversteer. And, and again, a bit more about driving physics, oversteer and understeer and that sort of stuff. And I remember thinking 
at the time, yeah, the first few times of spinning around hopelessly, losing control and sometimes peppering yourself off into some grass or a gravel trap and thinking, okay, that's a bit scary, but I understand. once you've done it once, you, know, you, you, you build up the experience of what it feels like. But then, came, then comes the realization on the drive home from your track day or from your car control day or your low grip day, where you think, now if I lost control here in exactly the same way, in exactly a very similar environment, what am I gonna hit? Because it's not gonna be a load of bumpy grass and a gravel mm. trap, or at the very worst, a soft spongy tire wall. It's gonna be a lamppost or a post box or a human being. And mm. I think I would love for there to be some sort of advanced scheme where we could put young drivers, because of course, firstly, how fun would it be? You passed your test, hey, now come and have a go at doing some track driving, because firstly, you're gonna get a real experience of what car handling and dynamics is. But also, there is no better way than turning on that light bulb in somebody's head than them spinning in a circuit. You know, spinning in a car for the first time feels bizarre. It's a, it's a completely alien feeling. But once you've done it once and you know what it feels like, it's like falling off your bike. Riding a push bike can be, t the idea of falling off when you're a child feels terrifying. And then you fall off and you go, oh, it's not that bad. I'll get back on and carry on. I wish that there was some way that we could bring that knowledge, that understanding of physics and what a car can do and what happens when a car, when it all goes wrong on track so that people have that realization and that it needs to be, um, it needs to be something that comes naturally to each individual oh, what if this happened on the road? There used to be a brilliant, there was a brilliant advertising campaign for motorcycle safety. And it was, um, you might've seen it, it was MotoGP or Superbike, a, a race, and it was select bits of footage where the riders would fall off. The bike would go off from underneath them and the rider would skid along the, uh, the racetrack and into the gravel trap. But then what happened in the video, they superimposed a post box and a park bench and a tree and a lamppost. You don't see the biker go into this superimposed thing, but they just go towards it. And suddenly you think, oh, and as a, as a motorcycle yeah. rider, I remember seeing that for the first time and going, bloody hell, that's actually, that's, that's genius. Because of course, you don't think about it when you're on the track. You do, you, you skid along if it all goes wrong and you'll hit the gravel. But my goodness me, if it was a tree, if it was something that could suddenly stop me very quickly, that's where it all goes wrong. I, yeah, that was a quite a convoluted way. I'm of sure we've got the I tech to be able way. to do that, actually. To, yeah, to I'd, I'd love to see it. What happens in a crash, and and to get people to understand that you've got a microsecond to decide an exit strategy, soft yes. or hard. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I love Quentin. Just I just got to go back to you saying that when when you started YoungDriver.com, people thought you'd be teaching kids how to break into cars. Because I mean, look, everybody knows that's <laughs> CrimeDriver.com. Yeah, that's the, that's the route for that one. <laughs> yeah, there are definitely better routes to go down if you want to learn the art of stealing a car than looking at an app training people how to drive. I have had to sort of fight with ministers and MPs who say that, you know, it's something, there's something kind of wrong to teach a 12-year-old how, how a car works and how to drive. And, and, and they were really deeply suspicious of us and gave, gave it no help at all and I wanted to have driving on on the syllabus on the GCS syllabus because you know we have things like citizenship and I wrote to Michael Gove and and, and I went to a, a, a select committee hearing and said look you know this is really really important think of the lives we can save but there's just a huge resistance about allowing people under a certain age to go near a car as if it's slightly kind of 
just dirty and, 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 and wrong and morally reprehensible. When all the, the data we see is that if you learn to drive earlier, then you are a safer, better, more responsible driver. And, and there was this great survey in Australia, um, no, Austria, where they, um, they took two groups of, of kids, pre-license, pre, pre um, and they were kind of 15, and then a, a, another group who, who learned to drive with the normal sort of 17-year-old um, process. And, and they compared the, the two groups after they, they trained and, and passed their tests who had the least accidents over a, a two-year period. And it was a big sample side. It was about 250 kids. And the, the group who had the pre-licensed training from 15 to 17 had 41% less accidents than the, the group who went through the normal, um, normal driving process. So that, I mean, that's the biggest road safety improvement yeah. ever. 41% is huge, yeah. nearly mm -hmm. half. So, you know... Yeah. Hello, we've got the stats now. Let, let's start thinking about this. But in, in the time that we've been doing Young Driver, which is a decade or more and a million lessons, no politician has come and said, gosh, you know, think of the lives you've saved. And we know we've saved lives. Um, yeah. And it would be nice to have a bit of recognition for it and a bit of support and say, look, actually, this is good. But the whole driving industry, you know, they poo-poo us because, you know, we're, we're taking away the businesses. And I've been on debates with academics on stage at the REC club saying, you know, we need as a society to look at this and, and no, 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 no. You know. But hey, it's self-belief. Uh, that's the most important thing that keeps you going. And when, when you have, as I have, you know, spent most of your time complaining about stuff and, 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 and banging a consumer drum, you get, you get to a certain age where you just have to have that, that rigid self-belief that says, what I know I'm doing is right. And, and, Absolutely. And when you're looking at stats like reducing yeah, accidents yeah. by 41%, then it's a million lessons. You, you can't kind of argue with that, really. Yeah, that's great. No, I, think it's a, I think it's an absolutely fantastic idea. And as you said, Andy, I think if, you know, anyone that's listening, be that. Some, if you're somebody that's, I know we have an awful lot of listeners that can't yet drive um, and they have a very, you know, an avid interest in the, in the, in, in the process of course and of the car industry um there'll be a huge number of listeners now that will be thinking right i need to get on that but also yeah you know parents as well with um kids at, at that age i think the more you can do to throw knowledge at your 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 creations you know you want to you, well, you the, want the, your the, child the, to be these confident. kids that you love and cheer from spent all your life you know yes. molding and shaping and then you let them out on the road at 17 thinking yeah. i hope it's going to be okay out there no, <laughs> we, we do. We, let's be proper about this. Let's train yeah. them and mm. give them skills that are life saving. Absolutely. Anyway, look, lecture, lecture over. Let's let's talk about something, something interesting and fun and, you know, <laughs> naughty. <laughs> what's the, OK, Quentin, what's what's the ultimate midlife crisis car? Oh, I said it was Porsche I said it was a Cobra, didn't I? It's a what? Porsche 9. What midlife crisis? 911. Yeah. Or four five oh, eight. That's really that's well, it depends how much that's money you've got. I mean it can be MX five, it can be can be nine eleven, can be four five eight. You know, the bloke with the ponytail and then the California spider. It's loads and loads of midnight crisis cars. <laughs> Spider's a good shout, actually. <laughs> that's a very good shout. Or a or a four grand boxster. You know? Yeah, but look, I think a four grand box is a great car. You know, yeah, don't I knock do. it because it's cheap. <laughs> when there's early boxes, I'm not knocking its price. I'm up for the price. I'm happy with the price. But I've seen a lot of divorced dads in boxes. Yeah. You know? 
But give me a man in a, a, a cheap Boxster than a, a man in an expensive 911 who's short and got short man syndrome. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that is funny. Yeah, we, we came to the conclusion, didn't we? I think uh, yours was an AC Cobra, Andy, wasn't it? I said but, a Cobra. But cr yeah. crucially, it must be a very bad kit. Because, of course, that, that, that's always a, a slight icing on the cake when it's a bad yeah, kit dodgy, car. Yeah, dodgy kit Cobra. That was the thing. Yeah. Not a real AC, because that's crazy money. We were talking about a dodgy kit Cobra. <laughs> that smacks of midlife crisis purchase. Oh, why, would you ever, yeah, why would you ever buy one of those cars? Because everybody's going to know it's bogus and faux. Well, that was the thing, and that's what we <laughs> yes. said. It, so this was a few episodes ago we had this discussion, and I came to the conclusion that it's perfectly fine to buy a kit car, just don't, for goodness sake, tell anyone that it's not a kit car. I think that, oh, yeah. it's at yeah. that point that it suddenly becomes very uncool. The minute you turn yeah. up and go, oh, no, it is real. And everyone's looking at it going, no, it's not. My two <laughs> AC Cobra anecdotes. Um, I remember interviewing Carol Shelby in Los Angeles oh. for, for Top Gear. Um, and he was just lovely. He was the nicest man in the world. And he gave me this little pen knife, which I've still got from the Shelby Foundation, the Hart Foundation. Um, and, and he said, do you want to go out in, in the car? I said, what, what? I've still got that, that uh, blue uh, demonstrator that, that, you know, I started it all in. So he oh, drove wow. me round LA in this 64, 63, uh, 260 Cobra, uh, leaf sprung. <laughs> and, you know, he's gunning it round and he's just, it, it was just lovely. And uh, yeah. I just remember him as being the nicest man in the world and telling me about when he, he sold the, the Hertz Mustangs and, and his first delivery in New York to Hertz and there was a, a hailstorm and, and all the cars went out and they all smashed up and my mm. reputation with Hertz just went down the tubes, man, you know. <laughs> so many of these cars got <laughs> smashed. And then um, I was lucky enough on Top Gear to be able to drive um, a seven-litre Cobra a wow. proper 427 side oh. um, And it was uh, a, a very famous car called GTM 777F, which was, um, the I think, the original uh, motor road test car. But it would do 0 to 100 and stop in 10 seconds. And everybody said, look, these cars are lethal, <laughs> absolutely lethal. You can't, you know, you'll be killed, you know, be careful. And when they hand over the keys, they all this kind of, be careful, you know, look, it's, it's lethal. Don't, don't ever, ever take it for granted. So I drive it from, I don't know where it was, uh, probably here in Stratford-upon-Avon, down to Thamesditton to the factory to film. And I'm, I'm kind of down, I've done the 100 miles in this car and it's rumbly and it's hot and it's bum, bum, bum. But it is just wonderful, absolutely mm -hmm. visceral. And, and just, you know, you can hear all this stuff and you can feel this stuff coming through the, the pedals and the seat. And you understand why it is so, 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 so revered and, 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 and such a legend. And I, I'm, you know, I'm just pushing it a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And you can just feel it in third as it pulls. And you're just thinking, whoa. Um, and you could buy these things off the showroom carpet for three and a half thousand dollars, you know. And, <laughs> and, and kids got them for their birthdays and never came back. <laughs> um, so I'm in Thamesdit and High Street and, and about to go down the road and just go. And I've done, I've done my, my drive and, you know, nearly at the AC factory. So full of confidence. And I've got the wheel turned to the left and I'm looking and there's a little, little gap in the traffic. So I think, oh, I'll take this. Jammed the throttle. Whoa! 
360, Thameslip and High Street, pluming with smoke. There's WH Smith's window, and I'm thinking, this is a million quids worth of 47 Genuine Cobra. And I think, I'm going, I'm going. Thankfully, I just pulled the clutch uh, and, and break up, and it just stalled. Um, and I'm in the middle with this tick of, of, of hot metal and this car that won't start because I feel... But I was so glad because it wanted to kill me because I took it for granted. <laughs> it knew. It said, please, please, Sonny... Please tell me there was... Please tell me somebody walked out of W. H. Smith with their their the edition of the Telegraph and said, "Oh, look at that, Quentin Wilson." I know. Thank God, off. nobody did. And I mean, you know, that was probably in the day when, when camera phones weren't um, weren't as prevalent as they are now. But my goodness, that would have been a front page story. But that That's was my right. Cobra anecdote, and it was just it. Everything they they said about those cars was true. That the minute you take them for granted, they will kill you stone dead. Wow. Yes, I I just do want to make things clear, Quentin. I love. The AC Cobra. I was talking about the kit that yeah. was the middle of crisis car. And, not, and why would you not buy the AC? You must have a catalogue, an absolute catalogue of similar stories to that, Quentin. Because if we go back through your journalistic career from writing to presenting and you know, Top Gear was a huge chapter, wasn't it? But I, I think that's possibly you know, me at the age of 33. I remember being a, a small child and watching Top Gear through the 90s and just about maybe remember Noel Edmonds being a presenter, but it was you know certainly going up through the the. It was um, a bit after that. Yes, it was. Yeah, you, you, John's, it was. John's trying to brag about his youth here, Quentin. That's what this is about. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, where did it all start for you? As like, who did you start writing for to the point where it took you all the way up to this? You, know, you say Quentin Wilson to anybody now in the automotive world, and every single person knows who you are because of either Top Gear or. A certain magazine. It, it, what was it the, goes back to your, your point about opportunities. Um, mm. uh, and I, I met a bloke called Steve Cropley once because uh, I was selling cars after I left university, and I'd done English, uh, an English degree. I didn't know what to do with it, and didn't want to be a teacher, and was having this lovely life selling old E types and Sunbeam Tigers and and Jensens and stuff like that. Um, and we, as a sideline, we we would do lots and lots of Mondeos and, and Sierras for companies. So Steve Cropley talked to me, and uh, I, he, I said, "Look, I'd love to write for 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 you." And he said, "Well, we're going to start up this magazine called Buying Cars, and it was a a, a magazine about used cars, which was was unprecedented then because all the magazines were about new cars." So he said, "Would you write?" And he said, "He said, send me a piece." So I sent him a piece, and then. You know, suddenly I'm 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 kind of their, their their main columnist, and we kind of mortgaged everything on this magazine, and it was quite a success. And and I was interviewed by the Sun and Radio One and Radio Two when when we launched, and then I got this weird call from a man who sounded like a vicar at the BBC called John Bentley, <laughs> saying, "I wonder if you could possibly see your way clear to coming over to Birmingham and doing a little screen test for us to see if if we can we can include." Um, include used cars on on, 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 on on Top Gear. Do you think you could, could possibly see your way clear? So I went over, we did a screen test, and dear old John, who, who was wonderful, you know, Oxford graduate and should have been an academic, and um, we put this piece together, I think it was about XR2, um, and I thought nothing more of it, and he rang me and said, oh, well, you're on air next week, you know, and that was it. I mean, it literally went like that, and all of a sudden, boom, smash. I, I, was, I was presenting, and I, I think... 
I'm always very suspicious of people who come looking for fame, but when fame mm. comes to find you and you have a specialty, you have something to say, you are an expert and you're not just reading stuff off an auto cue or some jaunty nonsense that a 22 year old researcher's uh, written, then you're different. And it was a different tone of voice, which people clearly, clearly liked. And I did 15 years with, with the big fellow with the curly hair um, and, and taught people <laughs> about you know, service histories and, and what to look for. And, and, and dealers would ring up um, on, on Wednesday wanting to know what car we were doing, what, what oh, car really? I was doing. Because as soon as you, you oh, did no. the Porsche 928 or something, a Porsche 944 Turbo, prices would go up. And it was top gear oh, on yeah. Thursday, top price on Saturday. So it was kind of, so it was all an accident and, and just not meant to happen, but you've got to go with it. And I've been very lucky. You know, and here I am still being asked to do stuff and still able to, to play around with, with, with new and old cars and, and, and hopefully change bits of the industry and make people drive better and save people money on fuel, etc., etc. So, you know, it's been Absolutely. good. I haven't really worked a day in my life. That's it. Do you know how many times I've heard staggeringly successful people like you, Quentin, use that phrase, oh, it was, it was just luck or it was an accident or whatever, which... Uh, and every time I hear it, I first, firstly, I think, "Why well, you lucky so-and-so? Wow, that's amazing. And then I actually pause and remember the person that's saying it. And, and then I think, well, bless you for saying that. But I'm calling bullshit here, Quentin. It is not <laughs> luck. You do have it's to talent. craft it. Yeah. I mean, look, <laughs> if you don't it's get up on time. talent and tenacity and ability and uniqueness and so on and so forth. You, you got to the top because you were great at it, not because you were lucky. Um, I, I, I worked hard, I tried hard, I wanted to be the best, I wanted to be right, I wanted to be fair, I wanted to say something that other people weren't saying. And I think you've got to have that, that passion and that commitment. And if you do, whether it's radio, whether it's TV, whether it's writing, then the, the, the lonely watcher on the sofa full of crumbs, they sense that, they know that, they, mm. they, they, they hear it in your voice, that you are saying something different and there is a passion and there is an... E evangelical zeal in, 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 in what you do. And don't aim to, to, to make money or to be successful or to have a huge amount of, of clicks or, or followers. Just aim to be the absolute best there is. Um, and, and that, I think, has always been a, 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 a great mantra. What a fantastic piece of life advice there. Brilliant. Exactly. Exactly. Although I can't believe I just said bullshit in front of Quentin Wilson. So, so, <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. Nobody will be shocked, Andy. <laughs> Least of all me, mate. <laughs> and therein lies the truth. <laughs> Happy days. Happy days. Quentin, what's next? I mean, obviously, the world is open again to a degree. We are assuming things will start turning again a, a bit a bit like what they call the new normal, but it's going to be a bit more like the olden times. We should be a bit more freer to do things and so on. And, and you always, always have projects that seem to take up the next 18, 24 months and so on. So have you got a, have you got a roadmap for what's to come? Yeah, I mean, uh, th there's, there's a couple of classic car programme uh, concepts in, in, in the mix which we'd like to get get off but there's a, a kind of shortage of investment and, and funding so people are waiting to see what happens in the next in the next couple of months um i want to go over to my poor house in france which i haven't been to to july which will be like a an enchanted castle all covered with vegetation and ivy and everything and i need to <laughs> hack all that back so I've, I've, I've made some time to go and do that but i think i'll just carry on 
you know, with 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 the the, the car stuff, uh, the electrification stuff interests me as as you've you've obviously heard, and how we need to get get down that road and get people understanding them and 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 not not believing all these urban myths, and just more of the same of having a nice time just mucking about with cars, which yeah. really is is the best thing, isn't it? You know, if 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 I had my life again, I really wouldn't change much. Well, then that's slam dunk, isn't it? Mic drop, boom. <laughs> that's the headline I'd like to be able to say that <laughs> I'd like to be able to say that but there's a few nights where no I'd definitely go back and change those <laughs> yeah look, we, we, we all make mistakes but don't regret anything Andy you know no mm-hmm. just just a few extra Guinness that uh, that I think maybe didn't need consuming but other than that yeah, yeah look we've all, all tequilas you know um, yes. <laughs> what we've, we've learned all of us out of this lockdown is that life is too short and, and you know as, a, as an old guy I say to you young guys Make the most of it. Absolutely. Live for the, 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 the most and do the, the best you can and make a difference. Make a significant difference out there that people will remember you for. And mm. that is the greatest thing you can, you can have in life, isn't it? Mm. Absolutely. I've always felt this, Quentin, and it, it sounds really kind of uh, glib saying it to you again now, but I, I've always found you to be such an inspiring presence. And today, you know, I thought we were going to get 10 minutes with you chatting about young drivers in lockdown and, and, you know, that would be lovely and brilliant. But actually, you've gone above and beyond, as you always do. You've given us a whole bunch of your time. You told us some of the greatest car stories I've ever heard. And you've been infectious company. I mean, thank you so much, Quentin. Look, it's absolute pleasure. Always, always a pleasure. And, and this isn't working, Andy, is it, really? <laughs> it's not it's not but you still remain my go-to john markar doesn't know this but quentin you i don't know if you remember this or not but you once i texted you a car that i i had literally oh yeah i'd, I'd fallen yeah. in love with 997 gen one and you were like andy don't touch it don't. you can't don't touch it and i so and I, literally i was i was walking to the dealership when i got quentin's message going mate you can't it's not. It's too much of a risk. I've been and paying was, out huge bills on my car warranty for Porsche yeah. uh, 911 engines right. for that, and and because yeah. of Nicosil liners uh, and, and internal rust yeah. in in the bores, and that's a ten grand deal. So you would have, yeah. you know, you would have taken a big hit, Andy. I'm so glad you did that. And look, isn't that great that I have saved you that money? Um, what, yeah. what, what could be better? Absolutely. Sounds I mean, like I, 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 I love the car. But, but I do. I own a tequila. I own several tequila. So, Quentin, let's get down caffeine and machine. Tequila slammers on Done. me. Done. Brilliant. Thank you for having me. Brilliant. Pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. It's been an absolute joy. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Oh, wow. You've made it to the end. The very end and it's john markar here again reminding you that this podcast the driven chat podcast has now run its course and has come to an end to find the new format search the driven podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps thanks bye